This is an incredible part. I'm so excited to have Carol here. She came all the way from Joburg. But we realize, I realized last night when, we, when I picked you up from the airport, um, got home and Bea and I spoke about, yeah, when, when was the first time we met you guys? And I mean, your church back at Wits had made such an impact on us, that student church that we went to. And we realized it was actually yesterday, exactly four years ago, that we met for the first time, wholehearted, went there. It was a campus tour, and we met that church. She's, those students were on fire. <laughs> it was inspiring, and Carol was heading up um, that ministry, and she's been in ministry for 13 years. It's incredible. Um, but since this past four years that I've, I, I mean, I never, I've, I've only felt like I got to know her last night a little bit, but we spent time connecting over emails, and it felt like we had exactly the same heart, exactly the same, just, it was just a God thing. And I knew from the start when I planned this, Carol's name came up, and it was like, yes, I should invite Carol. And um, when I picked her up at airport, it almost felt like those, you know, those blind, <laughs> no, I don't know if you know, but like a blind date where you communicated so long with someone, and you're so excited to see that person, but you're so nervous. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, we're going to connect, because now it was just emails, emails. And when we spoke, it was like, it was awesome. It felt like I've known you for so many years. She is just so in love with God. She's strong. She's courageous. And, um, and I can say incredible things, like she spoke at a world conference Yes, in front of thousands. She still travels a lot, speaking everywhere. Incredible things that I can say about her, but mostly she loves God. She loves this Every Nation family as well. And um, we love having you here, Carol. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Linda. Uh, is, it, is it on? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for, for listening to everyone begging you to come back. Um, <laughs> everybody was nervous um, if you would come back, but thank you for, for coming back, even though you don't know what you're coming back to. Um, and don't change your mind now. We've just got a few minutes and then you'll be free. <laughs> um, I, I want to first quickly do the right thing because I, I usually just do my own thing and say a whole lot of things that nobody asked me to talk about. So before I do that, I want to say thank you to, to Pierre and thank you to Helena for inviting me. Um, this is quite a, a big um, uh, and beautiful risk that you've taken. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, someone has to fulfill some of the scriptures in the Bible. And... Um, Somewhere in the Bible, it talks about God using the foolish things, was in Corinthians, to shame the wise. You are wise today. It's a very foolish thing in standing in front of you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, this is not shaming myself, by the way. I know I've practiced everything that we've learned from this morning. Um, Although I did call myself a hurricane earlier on with a friend of mine. <laughs> um, but then I, I reversed it to a hurricane of the Lord. Um, so I'm just turning every word that I'm using that seems to or sounds negative to positive of the Lord. Just add of God next to it. Um, and you can be a fool of God um, or fool of God or just a fool. So thank you so much um, to the Smiths for, for inviting me. 
Philippa, thank you for hosting me. Such a great host. I had great food yesterday and looking forward to what you're going to do for me tonight. <laughs> I am just one of those um, speakers that have no shame. Um, I just put things out there like, would you be my friend? Would you be my, you know, my mother? My... I just put things out there you never know, you know, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't really. But, you know, I was, I was, you know, quite nervous. And this morning when I, when I woke up and just praying about, about this afternoon. And, I mean, just the whole day, just have been praying about this. There's been quite a journey. But, you know, chatting to a friend of mine, well, Marion, um, who is a friend of mine. And, and we've probably known each other for almost 13 years now. That's how long I've been in ministry for. I've always looked forward to hearing people say, I've known the Lord for more than 10 years, because it was a touch and go, you know, for a, a while. One of those people that came out, and my salvation story really had like that huge smoke of hell, um, getting rid of that, coming into heaven. So I really wanted to hear one day that she's walked with the Lord for 10 years, and it's, it's pretty amazing what God can do and what he can use. Um, but... You know, when we're chatting and I, and I said to her, I'm so nervous because it's, it's, you know, for me, I can speak to students because they think they know, but they don't really know. <laughs> and I already know that. So it's quite fun to just like share things and they think, well, we don't agree. I'm like, we'll never agree until you have to actually pay for your own stuff. Then you'll start agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> but why you live off someone else? Of course, opinions. It's like being a coach from your, you know, your house and telling, you know, the coach what to do with the, with the team that they've trained for months and you're watching a game for 90 minutes and you think that you know exactly what should have been done and what should be done, you know. You didn't have to, you know, put that team together. It's the same with the students. They live with their parents and they think that their opinions actually mean something. They do, but until they actually step out and, and do it themselves, they soon realize that they have to cut back from the, you know, having lots to say. But she said this to me, imagine you were speaking to yourself. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. But I don't know if that's good for you. <laughs> but it's going to work for me. <laughs> and the amazing thing is that, you know, you, you'd think that most of us get over not only just being nervous. You know, the nerves are not because I don't believe that God can speak through me. But the nerves are because I want to know what people are going to think or what people think, or if I'm going to reach that, you know, a particular group, or will it make sense what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, you, you start, you know, um, just judging yourself. And it's amazing how every single day, we need to be washed with the Word of God. Every day, we need to be reminded of the Word of God, what He says and what we think, what He thinks and what we say. And it has to be what He thinks and what he says, Isaiah 55 from verse 8 says that his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. His word will not return to, you know, I'm paraphrasing, or I've jumped another, you know, verse. So when you get there and it says, uh, talk about flowers and the snow and the don't worry, I just jumped to 11. <laughs> that his word will not return to him void without accomplishing the purposes for which he sent it. And to be reminded of that. That got me thinking about the stage. So I'm single. There's no picture of my family, which is a good thing because there is no family in that sense. 
um, in terms of a, a husband or a wife, the hard thing about being single and introducing your family is that you've got too many options. I say this every single time. Who do you choose? Do you choose your parents and live out your siblings? Do you choose your siblings? What about the cousins? There's just like extended family everywhere. And you're bound to, you know, kind of um, offend someone because, you know, there's a cousin that always thinks they're their favorite cousin and you tell them that too, but don't ever correct them. And so I just leave it blank because it's quite blank, but it's amazing how we go through the stages of life where you get asked about being single for a very long time, which has been my life. I'm used to it now. You know, at first it used to really bother me to a point where I'd want to run and go look for a husband, but now I, I don't have that anxious to run and do my own thing because I figured that if God can really transform my life, I'm sure he can find me a husband. I'm sure he can do a good job. If he can do the big things in my life, he can also do the other big things. It's just, it's not as big as we make it out to be. It's not that massive. It's huge, probably like a hurricane, but not that bad. <laughs> and then you get married for those of my friends who got married, then the pressure was, when are you going to have children? And then you get your first child. Before the child even, you know, starts breastfeeding properly, you get asked, when are you getting your second one? It's actually, you don't want me to enjoy this one first. And you get your second one, and then the, the issue is, are they the right gender? Do you have the right gender? Do you have the, you know, if you have two girls, then when are you getting a boy? If you have two boys, when are you getting a girl? And the question is, when are you going to stop asking the questions? <laughs> then you have, you know, like the kids, and then it's a, I can't wait for them to be teens. Because they're so much better at this stage. Or maybe not teens. That's, that's so wrong. You can't tell I'm not a mother. <laughs> but until they start walking or start doing things for themselves, we just, we, it, it just teaches us to never be content with, with the seasons of our lives. And we're constantly looking forward to the next season without really enjoying the season that you're in. With its difficulties and its great moments, we learn to really yearn for what is actually not reality, which is perfection in the next season that never really comes. And then we're not content in the next season because we didn't learn how to enjoy the season that we're in. Then there's the fact that there's, there's a God factor where regardless of what you try, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty beautiful, pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> so there's not much work to be done here to find a husband. <laughs> but I mean, look, it's a surprise that I'm not married. Then there are things that you, you, you know, you get married and you try, but you can't have children. What then? What happens then? There's a God factor and a mystery to it that we will never understand. There are certain things that we, even if we wanted to control, we cannot control. And we have to be okay with living with the tension that we're meant to enjoy every season. Now, that's not my talk today. That was just a, a good intro to make myself feel that sense or feel that I'm here. I want to talk about our calling this this afternoon. This is weird. I usually either preach in the evening or, please, can you open this for me? See, women can do it for themselves, Pierre. Well done, Helena. You just opened a whole bottle for me. <laughs> I want to talk about our calling. 
We've heard such incredible messages from this morning. And when Helena was, I'm, I'm going to try and first pronounce it the way you do, and then we'll go with my pronunciation, Helena, and then Helena for me. And when she spoke this morning about the story of Naomi, I sat here thinking, wow, that's actually my mother's story, who's lost a husband and two sons. But lucky for her, she has three girls. It's just that sometimes in society they mean nothing or don't really mean inheritance to anyone um, or descendants in any way. Why do I say that? Two months ago, my youngest brother passed on. And the, the interesting thing is that when we started talking about awakening, it was actually two days um, before his funeral that I got this message. And the Lord said to me, I want you to go to this conference. And I was like, you must be the devil talking because surely you know that I'm going through a very difficult time to be thinking about ministry in this moment. And I, I decided to take a moment. I sent, you know, Helena a message and I told her what just happened. And I said, I just need a few moments to to think about this, I'll get back to you. She must have thought I was crazy for even responding. But the, the, the whole point of telling you this story is, is not so much for you to go, oh, she has a very deep story. Um, more than the fact that in the, you know, going through that, we had, now I don't know about, we've got different um, backgrounds here or, or racial groups. When it comes to black people and funerals, everybody's involved and it's their problem. And it's, you know, they, they're very involved. And so when the aunts and the uncles were all coming in and you know, we were getting ready for the funeral, it was quite interesting how they kept saying, I can't believe that this is the end of this home. Why would it be the end of this home? There are still three girls that are alive and a woman that gave birth to them. They're like, this is, it's like you guys have nothing because it's just the four of you left and you're just women. I was like, just <laughs> women? So the sons and the father meant more than the rest of us. So what should happen to us? I said to my sister, let's drive off and never come back. <laughs> um, but it's quite interesting, the kind of labels that we put on people and sometimes even on ourselves. And I want to talk about our calling using the talking from Genesis 1. And... It's been quite healing to be here for me that I was really feeling bad that I feel so fed that I was like, God, I hope you have a word for the people now that we've asked them to come back after coffee. <laughs> but I feel ministered to. Um, I don't know if I'm going to run the comrades. <laughs> but I'm, I was really inspired. I'm also 37 and I thought, hmm. Three years to 40, that could be my goal, <laughs> to look like her at 40. <laughs> she might not be happy about what people have said, you know, about you know, her, I mean, Kareen, but I'll be very happy to take her legs. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with the legs. She can give them to me. <laughs> Even if someone says, hey, to me, I'll be like, that's okay. <laughs> fully accepted and fully loved here in this body. How much time do I have? Because I really need to get into the ministry of this now. <laughs> Genesis 1 verse 26. Please allow me to read, read scripture this, this afternoon. I love reading the word so that you know that I'm not making this up, but also for you to go back and really read the word for yourselves. Don't just 
listen to what people say. Go check out Isaiah 55. <sighs> then God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on, on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I love this. First, God says, let us. And he says exactly what he wants to do. And then he creates them and still speaks the very same thing over them. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every um, beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. I love this. Every single time when God created, it starts in the beginning, God created. Or God said, let there be light. And with each day, it was good. But when it was time to create man, I almost feel like there was such a, a, a moment of not, not, not just glory, but this huge, big event about creating man. Why do I say that? God said, let there be light, and there was light. But when it, when, when it came to creating man, he said, let us. It's not like the Holy Spirit and Jesus walked in the room in that moment. They were right there the whole time. The Trinity, as God was creating, was right there. But in the moment of creating man, it's quite interesting that it takes a different shift. Even when it's done, it says, and it was very good. There is a difference between good and very good. There is a difference because you're very pleased if it's very good. You are pleased with what you've done, but when you see what you've created and you add very, it must have been great. Take note. We are created on purpose, and you don't, you don't have to, we can leave it there, but I want to say all three points before I go into detail. We created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. How are we created on purpose? It's very clear that God didn't go, hmm, what else can we do? And you see what the shift that takes place when he says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Let us make man. It is quite interesting that God was intentional about creating us. This is what I love about how man was created. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. How many of you took the selfies outside by the beautiful awakening? We all did with my friends. We all couldn't take a selfie, but someone took a picture of us. 
whenever you take pictures, for those of you who are on social media or even just take pictures, when you go back to look at the picture, who do you, what are you looking at first or what do you look at first when you look at the picture? Yourself. One is, it, uh, am I looking okay? Do I like the way I look? Am I ready for this picture to be posted? And so we'll ask for a reshoot. <laughs> if you don't like something like I felt like I was carrying a whole mountain in one of the pictures, literally, because of the jacket that I was wearing, and I should have taken it off because I felt it. And you know the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, take off the jacket. <laughs> But we look at ourselves. Do you know that God, when he, when he looks at, at us, he wants to see his image? That's what he's looking for. In all of us, he's looking for what he created. And so often, when we're looking in a picture that we've just taken, it would be awkward if I took a picture and I was standing, you know, with the people that I was standing with. And then when we all go back to the picture, there is no Carol there. That would be strange. I would either think that the person taking the picture cut me out. But if they didn't, and I still don't exist in the picture, something would, would be completely wrong. Right? I would want to find out what happened. How did I disappear in the whole picture? And that's how God feels when we treat ourselves opposite to what he created. Why on purpose? Because God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man, male and female, before even Adam was physically created. See, male and female were created, spoken into being before physically manifested. Before we physically manifested into male and female, we were spoken into. God created us, and then he created Adam. So you see that Azar, how many of you are Hebrew here? So it doesn't matter how I pronounce it, because you also don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> so it's Azar, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> or Ezar. It could be anything. None of us are Hebrew. <laughs> That, that helper, what I love about what, what, what Helena shared earlier is, is the fact that it was, it was what, how, how did you call it? A warrior. It sounded like miraculous to me. No, this is um, the story, the ending. It's not my message, so I don't have to. It's, it is Redeemer, but it's, you know, like a movie, you, you made an illustration and you said in the movie... Sorry, guys. Grand finale. Okay? So, it, a grand finale, do you think that they only come up with it at the end? No. It was always part of the story, right? It's just that the first parts have to happen, and then you bring the grand finale. But we treat ourselves as though we were an afterthought. As though... Adam became bored, and God was like, I would never want my son to be bored. What can I make for him? 
He's played with the animals. He's been sliding with the elephants. Nothing has made him happy. What can we find that will occupy the void he's feeling? This huge space of boredom. What can we do that will help him, you know, remain occupied? What, what parts must this creature have that will satisfy my son? I don't think that was God's plan. And so even when we behave that way in our marriages, we take the image of God out. When we don't live up to that helper, grand finale, when I come in, it completes the picture more than when I come in, I get made by someone else's picture. I don't think that's what God was creating. And so part of our calling is understanding and knowing that we were made on purpose. It was intentional. It was actually intentional for God to make you this way. Even the way you think with all your emotions. Even if guys don't get the seven levels, we get them. We feel them. We know them. We know exactly what we're going through. I, I, I understand that some people don't know what PMS is, and maybe that's not even godly to talk about it on stage. And good for you guys for being here, because this is a women's event. <laughs> but you know that feeling where you just don't know why everything is going wrong, and why someone is talking to you the way they're talking to you, <laughs> and why they're not considering your feelings. It's actually real emotions that you're feeling. And only after four days <laughs> do you realize that you could have taken it down a notch. <laughs> you could have understood that, that, that reaction where he just like, was like, I don't know what I said between now and five seconds ago. But you know that you felt it. It's quite real. That was created on purpose. That is part of God. He does feel that way. And, and often maybe when we, when we start taking a purpose that's not ours, a calling that's not ours, when we compare ourselves, when we compare our seasons, instead of going to God and, and taking it back to him and saying that I'm confused because... This is how it, it, it's supposed to be in society. And you're not really playing according to society, God. And it's making me look like an outcast. Instead of actually being honest with him, we try to fix it. But we've got to understand that if we're made on purpose, it's not going to go away anytime soon. We are going to look like crazy people. But there are amazing nurturers that bring life and speak life. To hear stories of mothers who don't accept reports from doctors, just because someone else will not broadcast that doesn't mean that there's power in that story. Just because someone else will not hear it doesn't mean that God will not spread it and use maybe their son to show the faith of that woman. God is powerful. We were made with a purpose. This is what God said, and let them have dominion. See, it only makes sense for God to say that we must have dominion because he has dominion. So if he's going to make something 
in his own image, in his likeness, he will give it what he has. And so he's given us dominion. We don't have to work for it. We were created with a purpose. There's a reason why it was intentional to create us the way we were created. But we also have to understand what that purpose is. And I'm hoping that you're not hearing me say to, to you, go back home and tell everybody that you've got a purpose. And that purpose has nothing to do with them but you. More than you accepting who you are, that you're not an afterthought. You're here for a purpose. And regardless of where you find yourself, you see, I listened to, to Karine and I thought to myself, if I also started two years ago, maybe I would have done comrades for the wrong reasons to maybe look a particular way. But if I started two years ago, I'd be feeling great and I'd be running a marathon. Maybe I wouldn't have gone for comrades, but just two oceans. I'm not looking down on two oceans. It's just that it's 21 kilometers compared to almost 90 kilometers. And then I had this thought, but it's never too late. Start now. Now, I did say that I'm not saying that I'm going to take up running. I just, it was a beautiful thought. <laughs> but regardless of where you find yourself in life, it is never too late. 17 years seems like a long time, and it is a long time. But at the same time, I like that long time, same time. We have to understand that at every point, God is going to intercept or God is going to interject. God is going to come in and say, it's not too late. So whatever it is, know that you're created with a purpose and you still carry it for as long as you're here. You have that purpose and that purpose is to have dominion wherever you find yourself. It is to have dominion. And then lastly, for a purpose, and that's to be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. For the longest time, I thought that this means that be fruitful, find someone to marry, and then multiply yourselves. <laughs> that sounds like kingdom. But then what happens when you're 37 and you're single? And there isn't someone to multiply anything with. <laughs> what happens to your purpose? Does heaven go pause? And my question is, why are you pausing heaven when you're supposed to be releasing? That means this be fruitful and multiply is not dependent on someone else, but the God who created me. Which means we're all meant to be fruitful and multiply. You could make babies and not be fruitful. You could make babies and still not multiply. You could be a person without babies and be fruitful. Or one baby and be fruitful and multiply. This is, this is not how many babies you can have. It's, it's all about your purpose and what you created with and what you have inside of you. So our calling is that of intimacy with God. Outside of being established and rooted in God's love, understanding how God created us will not be easy. 
living in that calling will not be easy if it's not rooted in God's love for us. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. But the verse before that, which is my personal favorite, is perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. We love because he first loved. We've got the ability to love because of love himself. Because he first loved us. It starts with that intimacy with God. Take all the time that, that, that you use to entertain your thoughts and, and dedicate at least 10% of that to intimacy with God. And you will see what God will accomplish even in that 10% compared to the 90% of actually driving yourself crazy when God is actually doing something in you. And I've already said this, our calling is that of intimacy. So here's how I want to conclude. I want to conclude with a story. And please allow me to read it. Well, a story in the Bible. I'm not a journalist and I don't have a book. But I have the book of life. <laughs> I know that was cheesy and really bad. Genesis 37 from verse 3 says this. Now Israel loved Joseph than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. He was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. So basically, he, Jacob was, was, um, he was a grandfather. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. Yes, please come up, guys. You're not wrong, Brian. I did say when I start reading Genesis. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Some of, I'm, I'm not rushed, but I must get indications or you'll be here until five. <laughs> Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, the sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, the sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. Sounds like what I'd say to my siblings. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are, or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dream and for, and for his words. And then he dreamt another dream and he told his brothers and he said, Behold, I have dreamt another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and, his brother, and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, excuse me, I have a bit of a cold. Um, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Notice how Jacob didn't have a problem when he told his brothers until the dream included him. And his wife, that you too, by the way, will also bow down to me. And he rebuked him. How many of your dreams have you told to people who have rebuked you? Or told you because they just couldn't see what God was doing? Are not your brothers pastoring the flock of Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. And so, please excuse me, can I have some tissue? I'm crying. 
Thank you. Thank you, Good. Thanks. I'm so moved by the spirit. <laughs> Honestly, but that's not true. I'm just wiping my nose. Tell me, please, where are they pastoring the flock? And, and the man said, they have gone away. Sorry, I think I've jumped a, a stage, but it, it's because I, I had to blow my nose anyway. They have gone away. For I, ha- I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Dothan. So Joseph went up after his brothers and found them at, at Dothan. And they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes the, this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into, into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we, will, um, and we will see what will become of his dreams. What will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of, the, of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, See how God intervenes? He'll use at least one person. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit, um, into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue that. Sorry. They took him. No. So when to, No. That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit will it, is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his, and his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. If you continue with the story, Joseph goes on to be sold as a slave in Egypt. And I can only imagine on his way to Egypt what he must have been thinking going through. I shouldn't have opened my big mouth. I shouldn't have shared about that dream. Or, God, how can you do this to me that you give me a dream and now look at where my life has ended? Where is your power now of what you were showing me in that dream? And I wonder how many of us are at that stage where we feel like God has given us a dream but it's been taken away. And he has done nothing to rescue us. He's done nothing to bring back that dream. But he goes on and he gets to Egypt and he continues to serve God. And as he continued to serve God, he then became one of the masters or one of the, the chief servants in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar entrusted him with everything. And he was faithful. But there came a point when, when Joseph, when Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. Ever had people come to you and ask you, what is it about your life? 
maybe people who don't know the Lord. They go, what is it about your life? Why, why do you have so much hope? Even when you're not feeling like you have hope or carry hope. But they just see the glory of God. And I think that that's what Potiphar's wife saw. That he is so attractive compared to my husband who doesn't believe in God. And then she wanted to sleep with him. But Joseph says no to that. The incredible thing is that he says, how can I do this to my master who has entrusted me with his household and sin against God? So he was more concerned about his relationship with God and sinning against God. Even, even if Potiphar came in and said to him, please go ahead and sleep with my wife, he wouldn't have done it because of his obedience to God. This very God who allowed his brothers to sell him and didn't rescue him goes on to go to jail because obviously the wife says that he tried to rape her. And while he was in prison, again, the outstanding relationship that he has with God is not determined by his circumstances, but determined by the God that he serves. That for as long as I have God, life can still spring out of me. And that's where sometimes we need to find ourselves that in the difficult seasons of our lives, that we understand the God we serve, even when we don't understand the circumstances, that we know the power that this God has, even when we don't agree with what we're going through. And he get these guys, a cupbearer, I want to cut the long story short now, and the bread maker. He has a dream about both of them. And he tells them, one of you, or they have a dream, and they didn't understand their dreams, and he tells, and he interprets the dreams, and he says, well, you're going to die, and you're going to get out of prison. And I can imagine if I were the guy that he was telling that you're going to die, that I was going to say, you're a, a proper liar. But then what he said came true. And the guy said, if it does come true, I will remember you. And he said, remember me two years later only. When Pharaoh is now at a place where he's having all these dreams that he doesn't understand. Why this long story? There's so many dynamics to Joseph's story. And a lot of them don't make sense from the point when he gets the dream to where he finds himself begging another prisoner to help him get out of prison for something he didn't even do. It would be one thing if he really tried to rape someone. But don't we sometimes find ourselves in circumstances like that? where it's not because we've done anything, but you still find yourself in a situation where you're in prison. You're in jail for something you didn't do. You're in bondage for thoughts that you can't control at times because of words that have been spoken over you over and over and over again. And so he comes out of prison and he because of Pharaoh's looking for someone to interpret this dream, and no one could in Egypt. And Joseph comes out, he interprets the dream so accurately that it becomes, again, he gets into this position, but this time around, he is now ruling over in Egypt. And I want to take, end off with this scripture, from Genesis 45, verse 4 to 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, they had now come all the way to Egypt because of the famine. 
the very same brothers who sold him to slavery. When they sold him to slavery, they were getting rid of this guy that they hated so much, but they didn't know that they were in line with God's purposes for Joseph's life. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, revealing himself. Please go read the story if you've never read the story. The one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Probably sounding like the situation we find ourselves with, the water situation here. Maybe some of us feeling really discouraged and going, God, we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Don't give up now. Don't give in now. Don't give up now. There's a reason why you find yourself where you find yourself. And the bigger reason has to be, in, it has to be established in you knowing that you were created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. Amen. I want us to 